What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Hollywood Already Did It, your weekly movie podcast for things that have been remade, rebooted, have sequels to them, and are otherwise not new. As always, I'm your host, Blake Schultz, and with me today is Zane Guzelderly. Hello, everyone. And we're talking about Glass, the surprise conclusion to the surprise sequel to Unbreakable. Yeah, whether you liked it or or hated it, uh, surprise is definitely the right descriptor here. It's a surprise film, and you're just going to have to go in and be surprised by what you thought of it, too. Because at this point, it's anyone's game whether a certain person will like this thing or not. Yeah, it's been fascinating to watch this split in reviews and divide. and Because I'm seeing more and more people, now that it's really out, enjoy the movie and be like, I don't know. Don't get what all the bad press is about. But when those first reviews came, it was being lauded as the worst of M. Night Shyamalan's career. Well, and it's only M. Night Shyamalan who can kind of have a controversy surrounding him and his film kind of like this. Not that the man has any personal controversy, but it really is a one-for-one shot, depending on how you look at his movies. You could pretty much argue the case for three of them. The rest would need a filibuster and, like, a government shutdown of two months for you to really get everyone on your side. I I've have met people that like The Happening, and, and Lady in the Water, and uh, I don't feel like this film, though I also like parts of those movies, I don't feel like Glass measures up to his worst. And his worst that we can say historically based on box office, you know, uh, sales uh, beyond the box office and just kind of the overall uh, venting and frustration that followed. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. But it's been interesting to watch, I guess, as it always is with his movies. I always really enjoy the surrounding circumstances of its release. But, I mean, let's get into it. We'll do some general thoughts. What did you think about the movie? I liked it. I I enjoyed it. I liked it because, uh, you know, as you said, it's been 19 years since the original. Um, I have very vague memories of watching it as a kid for the first time. I've seen it several times since then. um, And uh, Split, when I went and saw Split, it it was the movie to kind of follow up Unbreakable with. I really thought that an Unbreakable follow-up just wouldn't really work. And and I, I love Split because it tries to be its own thing until the very end. It doesn't try. It succeeds at being its own thing until the very end when the musical tones and melodies from Unbreakable start to trickle in and we see Bruce Willis and we realize just exactly who the Horde will be up against eventually, that he will go on to fight David Dunn, and that there is another ultra-strong human that may be a superhero. Like, just the thought and the potential is just so giant at that point that you almost had to, you know, think that this movie wasn't going to fare well. Regardless, just how good the other two films were. It was just the kind of thing where, you know, and, and you're right, we sat, we saw the cr- uh, reviews come in, and uh, I had kind of already decided that that was it, that this was going to be another M. Night Shyamalan in the barrel, just ready to be taken out to the curb, wouldn't think twice about it. And I watched the movie, I thoroughly enjoyed the movie, not without its problems, we'll get into that in a little bit, but by the end I had to really step back and try to understand where the hate was coming from. Yeah, I think that's kind of how I felt about it. I started in the beginning really enjoying where we were and watching kind of these two worlds collide because I think my biggest problem going in was how are they going to manage these tones, this slow 
drawn-out, dramatic tone that was unbreakable, and this very deliberately paced movie with this Blumhouse thriller movie in Split, this kind of faster, crazier, some jump scares, some just, like, shocks that don't really happen in Unbreakable. It's a very flat, well, not flat, flat's the wrong word, but tonally it, it, it takes its time much more than Split does. Coming, so, yeah, and, and I just, you know, you had just watched it for the first time. Right. You had not seen the film, and uh, I think watching it, you know, how many years, 19 years after it, its release is really, you know, it's it's a different kind of experience with, you know, the Marvel and DC universes, film universes being what they are now and, like, what the standard for a superhero movie is. This, this re-watching Unbreakable for me before Glass was kind of like in this Christopher Nolan universe where, you know, I believe that these you know, individuals have superpowers, but this is 100% the real world. Like, this is it. Right, and I think that's where it, it does succeed. But what I was saying was, and then when you kind of get to glass, the first 10 or 15 minutes of it are really Unbreakable 2 and Split 2 in one movie. And it was a little jarring at first to go from this, like, meditative drama to this differently lit drastically different in performance and direction movie. It almost felt as if like the dark Knight had been cut together with the nun. And you were like, you can't really get a bearing on what you're watching. You're talking about glass. Yeah. See now for me, glass is its own categorization. Well, that's what like I it's, mean. It's no, I, I, I've been hearing the arguments and it's like, Oh, it's, it's this hodgepodge mash of all these different things. And it can't, you know, find its ground Tonally, and I disagree because I think it's it has elements of the first two, including the major characters. You know, it's written by the same guy. Like, so of course it does feel that way. But I really think that the movie on its own is just like its own kind of beast. Color sure, palette. Sure, but feeling. if you even took this movie out of its franchise and went, here's a movie that's <laughs> that's twenty percent drama, and instead of being a horror drama, the B story just is a horror movie. And that's your first act, is two different films yeah. intercut. Right. That's like, fair. fair. That's, that's what you're watching. I don't think that's a bad thing. But at first, because they're so strikingly visually different, it's a bit of a, a system shock to just be like, oh, and we're doing like comedy in the beginning and then like straight horror and then like big drama world building stuff. And until you get to the first face off with the horde and the overseer, that's what we're kind of dealing with. And I didn't mind that, but I did kind of feel what a lot of the critics are saying of like, well, wh what are we doing here? And I, I'm not bothered by it, but to me it was like having whiskey and having soda instead of having a whiskey soda. And you're just like, well, these both taste very differently. And until we mix them together, they're just going to be different drinks. Well, you've really cr connected to my liver there. I now understand what you're talking about. And I will agree with you that like, yeah, it is like the opening of that movie with the cheerleaders tied up and Patricia kind of coming in the room and doing what we already know and, and expect. It is like a shot of whiskey only to have this kind of like more Coca-Cola-esque David Dunn uh, and his, I think it's David. Yeah. Dunn and his son, kind of having this vigilante, you know, Oracle Batman setup where it's like, you know, they they had their hideout is in the back of a security store and they're going on walks at night and and I it is it is very different. It is. I I don't know. I I don't think it's a bad thing because both of them are done very well and I think that's what I had expected was I was like, well, they're just going to make two movies at once 
and show them to me because there is no Marvel post credit scene to ease me into it. There was no Unbreakable 2 with a horde post credit scene that's supposed to be tonally different. You're giving that to me as the first act and then getting me to where we're going. And once we like once they meet and fight and we end up in the in the hospital, then it gets its own tone. Then it gets its own think piece about superheroes and faith and belief. And once we got into that second act, I was really enjoying the performances, the color palettes, how it was shot. I just felt that in the middle, we started repeating the same information. We started kind of like, when you kind of look at how they want to develop a script, I was always kind of taught like, you should learn something new in every scene. You're right. And there were a lot of scenes where I felt like we as the audience were relearning the same thing. For all intent purposes, Glass isn't even Glass's story. It's actually Sarah Paulson's story. Yeah. A new character that we're introduced to named Dr. Staple. And really, if you listen to the dialogue and the kind of conversations she's having, they're the conversations Elijah would be having in Unbreakable. It's the same type of pontificating and villain talk that we'd come to expect in a more like we want to help you. And it's, it's opposite of what he thinks, you know, that you're not a superhero where he would, you know, really be trying to get you to believe that you are one. And, and he, and this isn't a spoiler. We will get into that stuff soon, but he doesn't talk for 45 minutes in the movie. It's interesting to see a disheveled Mr. Glass that's supposedly been so drugged up on pills and just disoriented and, and out of it. And it's it's fun because he's smirking his way through and, and through his eyes you can just kind of see it's like, oh, there's something cooking. I know something's coming. But it almost comes too late. And it's like you say, we meander a little bit too much in the middle. You kind of get lost with what's going on and you get a little tired. Yeah, because the story there really becomes we all have to get out of this makeshift prison but nobody really ever takes the strides to do that so we end up in these one-on-one character studies about whether or not they're real that i really like but we spend so much time in it that the rest of the story doesn't really get time to marinate it isn't until glass's plan is revealed and the three of them are together that we really start to kind of Right. There ball isn't rolling. really a story up until the last 20 minutes when it all comes together because it is very much a comic book hero versus a villain. There's an altruistic kind of instigator in the middle of them or the master criminal, and he's the one that's kind of pulling the strings. There will be a showdown, and then the movie will end. That's what everyone expected. That's how the comic genre is now. They eventually will meet, they will fight, and it's how spectacular or how stale is your fight going to be? I personally didn't like Wonder Woman because that movie excels at all areas except for the final 1v1 where it just becomes the most generic bullshit ever. I think a lot of people that are claiming this to be a bad film were expecting them to get to the downtown Japanese high-rise and just throw fisticuffs like it's Amazing Spider-Man 1 and love the visuals. See, I think the main reason people are... I'm hearing this a lot where people are saying, like, oh, all the critics are bad because it's not a traditional superhero movie. I think the critics don't like it because it is more of a traditional superhero movie than they wanted. Because in the end of the day, sure, we don't get to the big tower. Sure, we don't get there. But this does go from being this introspective superhero think piece to let's throw fists in this lawn until the end. And then there's three different twists to make your story different. And then we go home and it's like, well, 
on we're unbreakable, and now I'm kind of jumping ahead of what I wanted to talk it's, about. We, but we're just we were doubt we were destined yeah. to get there a lot sooner because it is the whole talking point of the movie, right? But I feel like what unbreakable was. But well, here, let me finish my general thoughts and kind of the third because then we do get to the twist, and then I'm all in. But but and no, where I what unbreakable was? Yeah, but what unbreakable was was this look at a genre that didn't really exist yet, and it used comic books and movie telling structure to really kind of say something about heroics and about kind of even movies at the time and action movies then and these sort of parables of human feats of strength and mythology and uh, art imitates life and life imitates art and what was there first and what are comic books and are these really things that relate and really like diving into what it was. And I think now that we have 20 years of superhero movies between the bad ones like Daredevil and Elektra and your Infinity Wars and Black Panthers and Logans, we've now seen almost every flavor of a superhero genre. We've we've gotten We've mixed it with every, everything from space to right. western. You're right. And even that we right. we have like the indie darling ones and uh is it just called Super James Gunn's movie yes. with the wrench? Yes. Yeah. All the way up to your like Oscar ones like Logan and Dark Knight and your spectacular blockbuster ones. And this movie doesn't really have that same critique or depth that Unbreakable did. And I think people were really going, they have such a unique opportunity now to make something like Unbreakable in the middle of this this genre and really say something. Where I think kind of the best way to look at it is Unbreakable was before its time, really, the scream for superhero movies, where it really was like getting into why this genre works and doesn't work while also excelling at being part of it. And this movie was like Scream 3, where instead of using the genre tropes, they're just like, well, this is the showdown now, and welcome to the climax. (laughs) We got to get to that stuff separately, too. But I I do want to address that point because you are absolutely right. Uh, There's a surprise. There's this nature of surprise that comes with both Unbreakable and Split. We don't know if he is a superhero, and so we watch him and his son put on all the weight in the on the bench press and watch him do it to the point where he's you know trying to save this family and he's going up against this guy that's like two feet taller than him and a hundred pounds in size easily more, and they are he's throwing him around like a rag doll and indenting the walls and he's moving swiftly and it's like whoa, in Split it's the same thing with James McAvoy's performance. We just don't know how crazy this guy really is. And even up until the final five minutes of the movie, he still continues to, like, shock and and get us in this uncomfortable place. There wasn't really anywhere to go with Glass that was going to do that. The one thing in the end, which I'm assuming we've gotten to there at this point, right? Yeah, we can just... It's, it's this Dr. Staple character. This, this woman who is trying to help them, so to speak... In, in kind of, you know, uh, coming to terms with the fact that they're actually not superheroes. When the truth is, and the spoiler, the, the twist is that they are 100% superheroes. And that she works for an organization that is human-led. That is to eliminate any superhero beings. In order to keep humans... The balance. The, the, keep the balance to keep humans, ordinary humans, at the top of the food chain and power. And to eliminate any threat regardless of motive, of a Superman just completely null and void. 
And this, this jumps up on us in the last 15 minutes where the security guards, the heavily armed ones that are in the uh, prison all have, or excuse me, the mental institution have... All have tattoos. So, uh, you know, in their secret organization, we can tell quickly who they are. We're, we're getting these get out type scenes where like it's silent auction rooms in public places that they lock down and become very quiet when only members are present. And she begins to talk in this kind of way where it's like, we're going to go get them and we're going to, you know, this and that. And she'll eventually go on to the next one. It become this movie becomes about a, a fictional, albeit it is fiction entirely, an organization that has not been referenced, brought up, talked about at all. And it is now like, the sole motive mover in in the movie and ultimately what's going on. And so I, I get it. It just kind of comes up out of nowhere. It conveniently takes care of all of the movie's problems just about. And M. Night Shyamalan makes the decision to kill all three of his characters. And I think that's something I really like about the movie. That's why I love the movie. That's what like, I really do enjoy it. it. And I don't think it makes up for its pratfalls to just have... but. And this is something I, I think that Shyamalan does a lot, where he goes, here's my movie, and then in the last 15 minutes goes, no, actually, this is my movie, and those last 15 minutes are infinitely more interesting than the rest of your movie. Why isn't that your whole thing? Like, I would have loved to have gotten into this organization in even the first act or second act and really dove into... Because what I also love about the movie is that it, it ends up being about faith and belief and what you can do when you believe in yourself. And there is no kryptonite outside of what people are telling you you can and cannot do. And I liked that we saw that power, that Bruce Willis believes that. And even the Horde starts to believe that. And they all start doing this and suddenly they emotionally get weakened. And I think the next logical step of that, it's show, don't tell. Put them back in the world and prove to me they aren't superheroes when they're not believing it. Yeah, that really would have been the ultimate extender to like for her to believe that she had succeeded until ultimately the powers did come out and then they and then they Glass has his plan and then oh, it could have, have been I about I would have liked that and then it could have been Glass's story of really finding all of these people because it did feel like a very realistic superhero movie because for all of the Iron Man's and Batman Begins and Dark Knights that are going, well, it's a grounded movie. He's still flying around in a cape and a suit and has right. more money than God. This to me felt more like a real tangible superhero movie where people wouldn't believe it. Like the learning curve for superheroes, even as far back as like the first Superman movie, the first Spider-Man movie, they accept it so fast. Like sure. Sam Raimi's Spider-Man, Peter Parker just wakes up one day and is like, I guess I'm a superhero My now. life is infinitely better. Let's right. go to school. Yeah, where, you know, you get a whole movie of Bruce Willis being like, well, the things I'm doing aren't real. What I'm doing isn't real. And in Split, you have kind of the universe going, this character isn't real. He's just crazy. There is no beast. He's just schizophrenic or multiple personality or whatever you want to call it. DTI, I believe they DTI, call it. Yeah. DIT or D, something like that. They, right. They... Give it its own classification as a medical disorder so that you kind of get away from this whole, like, power speak. And it's why that that movie was able to kind of pull off that right. surprise. And then even this movie, it's, well, you guys just believe this because of trauma. You believe this because of trauma. And when you really go back to even, like, superhero origins, 
it's all out of trauma. There is no superhero origin story where it's a middle class family in the suburbs. Fine life, and then one day, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's never like Spider Man and his parents are living in the North Shore, and he got bit by a spider and just was a hero. Like someone dies, something that motivates them forever happens, and they take that tool and go, "No, you're just self soothing. You're just trying to deal with what happened to you." And that's an interesting thing. And I and instead of really doing anything with it, they just keep saying it at you. And it's like, well, this is a really interesting thesis. Build on that. Put that out in the world and let me see it. Because the next logical step is that there are other people like this. And to see maybe the Horde, the Overseer, and even Mr. Glass are all like tier one people. And her whole thing is, I can really... If I can prove that this crazy person with 20 personalities and one of them is this almost werewolf-like creature is a normal guy, well, we don't have to kill anybody. We just have to rehabilitate them and put them back in the world and we all just go on with our lives. And when that fails and the organization then has to come in, I think you would have seen more of it. But I appreciated that the movie said something at the end because even in Unbreakable and Split, you have this through line of disbelief and doubt and to see that kind of come together in this climax of all three characters not believing who they are, only to realize what they're capable of and then die, it's fascinating. Yeah. And it really almost shows you, like, what can you do when it's too late? Like, what what do you do with that now? Like, are we now meant to assume that in this world, did they awaken other superheroes? That would have been another great thing to see if maybe other people see this Mr. Glass footage that he releases revealing themselves and a lot of other people who are doubting themselves come forward. This could have been an interesting movie about representation in that way. When you really see what a segregated or or hurt people are capable of, they rise up and there's more. And now it's this organization versus all these people. And suddenly their job just got a lot harder because we've revealed this. Or did we reveal the only three superheroes in the world that's, for them to just pass away and be done? That's what I was going to talk about. Because this is like the movie, if you look at it in terms that way, and this was like, that's, it's just so run of the mill. It is every fucking other superhero movie that doesn't have an IP where it's like, he is the first. He was subject zero. I don't want to see those stories. And the problem with having a franchise where the films have come out almost two decades apart from each other is a lot of other shit has been going on in that time. Right. If you're going to say at the end, we are superheroes and we are the elite, there was no one else? Oh, they were. This Blackwater hit squad have come through and killed all of them. Right. Because this is the real thing that we're choosing to talk about here. Now, I had heard that they had changed the ending. Of the film, they had to, he had had to rewrite it. Originally, this was a part of the Unbreakable script. The Horde character right. was originally removed, um, and then he said that in you know some press releases and uh, press kind of meetings they've had, he has talked about uh, that he's always dreamt of it being a trilogy. So it makes sense after all this time they've changed the ending. I I you know ultimately and just to catch anyone up who who may be listening that haven't seen it. Uh, the compound is filled with cameras, and we see Glass kind of tinkering around with a lot of stuff. And the twist is the end is even after they're dead, he had been able to hack the system to kind of self-record off of another computer, off of all of the different security cameras that were recording on the complex, and kind of copy and collect those files for his own self. Which at the end, 
every one of the fallen heroes or villains, they're like human representative, the mother, the son, the victim. The victim. Right. They all come together to kind of like release it onto the world. And they decide to go to the train station, which has just been a, a central hub for all these movies. And they wait to kind of like see the flurry of people being like, oh my God, like, can you believe, look at this footage of crazy humans doing superhuman things. It wouldn't work in 2019. It's just right. stupid memes and gifs. We have so much editing now that you'd look at it and be like, oh, it's a pretty, like, I've seen a hundred of those videos by, like, kids that live in the valley that are just using cheap iMovie Maker. Like, it just doesn't, it doesn't work for me in, like, the instant gratification they get at the end. Like, all oh, the heroes are yeah. dead, but we have That was kind of my other info. weird problem, was they all seemingly, upon revealing who these people were to the world, are fine. They're fine. Yeah, they're and fine. And, like, they one of these really... is their son. One of them is a father. Right. And, sure, the girl who was almost murdered by the Horde, she could care a little bit less about his death. I'll buy that one. Yeah. But the mom being like, well, he showed him. It's like, He's dead. You, you just watched your son get brutally murdered by the people trying to rehabilitate him. The mother is the most troublesome character in the movie. He said it was a showdown. He said some crazy ass lines that made me laugh so hard to the point where I was taken out of the movie. Like, yeah, there there is a whole ridiculous lead up in like the prison before they're all let out to fight, and she just starts using comic book terminology. That isn't real comic yeah, book terminology. It's, it's not real words or phrases. <laughs> we have to collect all the main characters. Oh, oh, that's why we're all here, and it's time for the showdown where all these characters would exhibit their their strong prowess against one another. Everyone remembers that classic Nick Fury line. It's time for me to collect my. Characters characters yeah it was like uh okay so i almost am like are you his like side henchman like are you his well they oracle? sort of they framed her up like that in the trailer they have that line in the trailer where she says they always underestimate the mastermind and it it makes it sound like she's in on it but she's so aloof to okay, everything she's been, going yeah, on she's she's just out to lunch and she loves her son but, like, she does not care that he has killed hundreds of people. Oh, yeah. She also was like, well, you know, Elijah was trying to find his place in the world like we all are. He's a terrorist. Yeah, he's a, a, a one-army terrorist, <laughs> like, fighting just awful, just awful human, awful. Like, two of these people are horrible people. It's And it really was stuff like that that just kind of took me out of it. And, and, and several other lines of the movie yeah. that are pure Shyamalan trying to be funny with the orderlies in this mental institution, one being a complete Ugh. jackass, the other's a health nut. I didn't need it. That's like about five to seven minutes we could have cut out of the movie. And and just – and here's another thing. Here's just another thing because now we've, 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 you know, we've given this movie a big enough blowjob because now I'm going to get into some of the problems. I don't know. We've been harping on it for a while. Well, okay. But Elijah's been in prison for 18 years now. Yeah. Where did he learn advanced hacking like that? I, you don't learn JavaScript in 95 and then just it doesn't change. I still don't decades. buy that this, uh, A, this medical ward, and B, this secret society has two people at night to guard the three superhumans, two right, of whom are mass murderers. Like, you know, machine gun, army vet, like bulletproof vest guys, like they show up and I'm like, were they just like in the wings the whole time, like, waiting? Because they have all these cameras set up, but Mr. Glass has been getting out of his room inexplicably. Well, we never for, know how. For months. 
Uh, he is the mastermind. They always underestimate the mastermind. <laughs> like there is, I, lo- I the things I love about this movie are the direction. It's directed very well. It's shot very well. The design is very good. All of the performances are great. There's so much about this movie to like, and the last 20 minutes is just such a fun roller coaster to me that comes together to a very good theme. But there are so many problems in just this. Just clunky, like you're driving around in a car and you're hearing sounds that are like, that doesn't sound right. Well, I even need to get this looked at. Just like the biggest problem is that this movie could have been 20 minutes long. Like you could have just got your characters together, they break out, they fight and die. That's your movie. Why was this two hours and ten minutes? Because, yeah, there's a lot of circular talking in the mental institution. There is another thing, which is a personal theory of mine, which wasn't really fleshed out in the movie, but I believe that her whole therapy, her, like, because she believes the head trauma was to the frontal lobe, and that's what's causing them to believe everything, and that she has this, like, laser laser gun thing that's going to just shoot him in the forehead and correct the problem. I think all of that was fabricated. And or is bullshit. that just supposed to be a frontal lobotomy to just zonk him out anyways? Like, is that some like 1940s surgery shit where they're just well, going to cut out a part that, of their brain? She can't be proved that she actually accomplished her mission and like w- was able to right. humanely switch them back to being normal and just kind of suppress those feelings. So I think all of that leading up to it was part of her plan to really... Because even Sam Jackson goes in to fuck with the laser machine and, like, removes one of the pieces and, like, looks at it and then, like, lets it happen. He just lets it happen on him. Which, at that point, he's either broken the machine or he is so smart that he realizes this is just a laser pointer connected to a machine. It's going to do nothing to me. Right. And all of that just kind of comes and goes because at the end they can't, you know, control them and they have to be put down and they kill... All of them. All three of them. All three of them. In spectacular fashion. It's great because I think that he, M. Night, looked at the things that were missing in superhero movies. And we've yet to do, like, deaths like this where I know 100% those characters are not coming back. And I, right. And And I like that, too. I like this movie has an ending, which is something that the Marvel movies will never give us. Never. They'll never give us an ending. They'll just keep going for all we know, some of these characters will have endings. Captain America and Iron Man might be done. We don't know. But this was a very good, and I even heard a kid leaving the theater who was like, well, Dad, what about the sequel? And the dad response was, well, then why does there have to be a sequel? Well, Dad, there's always a sequel. And it amazes me that we've now conditioned a generation to just expect more. It's good for the money making. It's great for the the money making. It's just, it's very weird because I remember being so surprised by sequels when I was a kid. I was too. They're making another X Men. Yeah. And and now they're like, well, yeah, of course they're going to make another one. Why wouldn't they make another one? They always make another one. That's what they do. Yeah. Even when they're not successful, now we'll just find a way. Or I guess really, when I was a kid, it was I get three. Because I grew up with the Star Wars trilogy, the Matrix trilogy, Lord of the Rings, the Ninja Turtles. Back to the Future. And so even then, I remember even when, like, Pirates got a fourth one, I was like, well, uh, what? No, no, no. You do three. You do three. I remember saying that to people. Whenever there'd be a fourth movie in a franchise, I was like, but no. Just that 1920s stock market. Well, the market will never crash. It'll always be the same one. <laughs> it's, it's always going to be three, but maybe you get three. Three It's a perfect number. A beginning, a middle, and an end. What, do you have a second end? Preposterous. Yeah, and that's, now we have third and fourth endings right. and else. 
I will say that this movie, and I, I recently uh, rewatched Swi uh, Split after I watched uh, Glass. And Glass, for all that it does, and it's doing a lot, which is why I just think, you know, overall, I like the movie. I think you should definitely see it if you've seen the other two films and liked them. Uh, it makes Split a little bit of a better film. Oh, yeah. Because the two things that I was left with after seeing Split was, okay, well, one, she's just going to go back with her uncle that molests her like what the fuck is that and then two just the whole beast scene in itself made me question him bending the bars and taking two shotgun slugs and all of that but they bring both of those points back around in great fashion and you know just like you find out that she did turn her uncle into the police and she's living with the foster family and probably the best moment in dr staples whole thing was like i went to the crime scene those bars were from a zoo in the 1800s. I was able to bend them with a wrench. The shotgun shells, they were kept in a bad environment. They were wet. They were, they were defunct. They wouldn't work the same way as a, as a dry, clean shotgun shell. Then I was questioning everything. That's good storytelling. He chooses to kind of like introduce this group at the end. There's really no other way to introduce it. Unless you open with And her. I like that group. Right. I, like, I like that idea and I like... Um, kind of the idea of even superheroes in therapy. Right now they're doing a story in DC Comics called uh, Heroes in Crisis that is, you know, they're at this, like, ranch where they go to be like, you have no idea the things I've seen and what's happened to me and I need to talk about it. I was like, well, this is a side of everything we haven't seen. All of the, the whole MCU is sort of dealing with Iron Man's PTSD, but we've never had, like, him sit down one-on-one -on -one and really be like, holy shit, Outside of that scene at Iron Man 3, when he's like, I'm a man in a can, there's a Hulk, Thor, everybody, like, what, what do I do? And it's like, yeah, these are the scenes we should have. And I like there being a character driving that motivator of, like, what really does happen to these people on a day-to-day -day basis? I feel that, that his, biggest, his biggest takeaway for this film was, especially doing it, you know, starting with Unbreakable, doing a superhero film before superhero films were the norm, and now making one two de decades later where they're becoming tired and a little worn out when they're not done properly. He decided to look at all of them and give us what hasn't been done. These group therapy sessions where it's more internal conflict, even though they want to fight each other. These, these you know, the, the thought of just like humans retaliating, killing, having the hierarchy... All of that. And Killing Your Heroes. He gave us everything we haven't seen. But still, deep down, that 75% of critics that, that thought that this was a rotten movie were just waiting for some new fucking I think they really just wanted... Sequence, right? Am I no, crazy in thinking No, I, I still don't think so. And, I, and this is what I'll say, because a big kind of thesis of the show is why tell these stories now? And I have to go... Well, why tell this now? And it's in the thick of superhero movies. And I think it had an opportunity to say something about the genre, do something about the genre, and really make a statement about where we are as an audience and our level of acceptance. Because this isn't just about faith and belief. It's also about what will we accept? What will society accept? What will these people who are trying to maintain the balance of humanity accept? You could have used them as like a, a staple for the audience to really be like, what do we accept and not accept as people? And we've been doing this. There's stories forever and these myths and everything really do go and life does imitate art. But what happens when the son of the overseer thinks he also is a superhero and jumps in front of a train and dies? What happens when somebody who just 
is insane, thinks he's somebody like the Horde, and dies. What you almost these sort of like kick-ass watchmen type themes that they were getting into of like sure. why isn't anybody doing this? And I think critics were upset because Unbreakable did that before superhero movies. And this had an even bigger opportunity to really come out and be like, hey. And the thought was there and the execution wasn't. And that's mostly because of clunky dialogue, sloppy storytelling, and some uneven pacing that drowns out a lot of innovation in the performances and how it's shot in the color palettes in the direction that ultimately leaves you with this kind of like meandering middle ground movie. You had said it after we saw the movie too, um, that Unbreakable did a really great job of just kind of living in that comic world of, of the like acknowledging comic books and the history of it. And right. The thinking this time around, it's like, oh shit! I also have to do that again. Uh, let's just shoot. Well, one, yeah, a that's of the other. In and this and that. Like she even um, the Horde's character, whose name I forgot, his like token to the outside world, the victim. Uh huh. Ru- she runs into the therapist's office and is like, "Did you know that the first Superman couldn't even fly? Maybe these are pretty." And I was like, "What are you even talking about? Yeah. Like you sound loony. This isn't when Gla- when Mister Glass does it in Unbreakable. He's like, you know, we told stories of gladiators and we told stories of myths, and those myths, while exaggerated, were real stories. I believe that superhero comic books are the same thing." And that these kind of people exist. Maybe not to the extent of Superman or Spider-Man or the X-Men, but they're a little bit elevated. Or that great scene where the guy is trying to buy the original print for his son. Yeah. And he finds out that he's four and it's like, this is not for kids. Like, you right. don't understand. And he gets mad because of it. Like, and there, there's like a depth to how they use those. And in Glass, it is just like, well, you know, Superman used to not even be able to fly. Maybe it isn't insane to think that he's real. And you're like, well, now you just sound loony. Well, can I ask you uh, what... You thought it meant at the end because uh, Glass's mother, <laughs> who who's the worst at using some of this terminology. Who also is, somebody pointed this out on Twitter. I saw a post that was like, this woman is Samuel L. Jackson's mom. He's 70. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, she should. Uh, she should be 99 <laughs> and not able to walk on her own at this point. But she is. They give her some makeup. It's fine. But I'm yeah, whatever. Gonna get, I'm not going to get that. Stuck in it. I just thought it was a very funny thing to point out. Very funny. My question for you is: She is saying that it's a limited edition. She's saying that it's that this the whole situation is like, well, we've taken them out of their surrounding environment, and so now, like, they'll have to kind of like it's it's the limited edition. She keeps saying that, which isn't anything. Yeah, is not anything for what she's talking about. But my question for you is: As glass is dying on the ground. And the mother kind of comes in and goes, oh, but what happened? It was supposed to be a limited edition. And he says, well, mom, it was never a limited edition. It was an origin story. So who's who's origin? Where I thought that was going back to kind of what I said earlier was that this reveal was going to awaken other super powered people. And it was going to be the origin of all of them. That okay. this moment was going to what then. What are you thinking above the concept? Good job. I was like, I'll take that. I was That's like, this is good. the next logical step. But again, you never see that. This movie just ends with people watching YouTube videos, and it would have been or nice. Doctor Staples' origin, in a way. And it's also that it's her origin, but he doesn't want her origin. He doesn't care about her. 
No, but it's he like wants, it's her origin maybe as a villain and kind of painting her as one, kind of pulling yeah, her down to his level. But because I, he's already established. The Horde was established. And the Knight, the Overwatcher, Tippy Toes, or whatever the hell his nickname Mr. is. Mr. Tiptoes. Mr. Tiptoes, which is a funny little thing they do. <laughs> uh, he's already established. So I'm just kind of left like like for the rest of the world and them. I think yours to kind of let people know what the powers inside of them, they also are powers. I think that's the best one. And I think you could even make a case for staple. Yeah. I mean, I think it's both, but I, I think without sort of seeing any of that, again, it's an interesting thesis that is ultimately unproven in the movie. And I'll accept sometimes having a non-ending and being like, the viewer can decide, but I don't think this is that movie. I think no. this is a movie that had something to say and got halfway through saying it and then went, you get it. It was like a kid who was giving a speech for school and then he, the teacher was like, well, what's your third paragraph to close? And he was like, but you already know everything. Goodbye. Ultimately giving him a C minus. Yeah. Because I don't get the reviews that are like, it's the worst of his career and it's a 5 out of 10. Those people are going to give him that before they win in the But I will happily sit here and if somebody was like, it's a 6, it's an average movie, I would go, you're absolutely right. I'd say it's slightly above average, personally. And my my question for you is, now now that you've seen them all, how do you rank them? Probably split Unbreakable and Glass. Yeah, I would have to probably go the same way. Only because Split delivers more than Unbreakable does, just as a film. I I do think that the trilogy as a whole is is pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's and like a, it is something to be watched. It's as a an good experiment piece. for the genre. It's just kind of a shame that it doesn't really stick its landing. It does, and, part and it of, doesn't because yeah. I also like. For me, his worst film is Airbender, where just some of the biggest set pieces with huge armies of extras and special effects were just lifeless and dull. And I, I kind of was afraid that that's what was going to happen in this kind of, you know, and as this movie unfolded, but I, I did kind of see that he knew what his strong, his strengths are. And it's just keeping it in this single environment for the most part, you know, keeping the movie's budget at 20 million instead of, I did like that too. I I liked the scale of the movie. I just, I just wish it had been a little, deeper in its process. Yeah. I also don't like, and I, I do like it in this movie because I think the reveal is cool, but I still go, the most interesting part of your movie was at the end. If I wrote that script in a class, they'd be like, the, move this up. This is your movie. Right, which that's, that's the question. It's almost just like he should have... Which is almost the same thing in Unbreakable. You watch the movie now and you're like, the most interesting part of this movie is the last 10 minutes when you find out that he's a terrorist. They, they, this movie should have been called Staple. It should have been advertised just as a Sarah Paulson movie where she's hunting down superheroes. You should have never known who they were. And literally 20 minutes into the movie, after you knew what this organization they were doing, she gets transferred to this organization, this place yeah. where all three of them are, and then you just let the film go naturally. That would have been a real fuck you to the fans of Unbreakable that wanted to see David and his son kind of working together and, and kind of what life is like in that area you know, after the fact, but, but I, I even think there think was room the end, to do all of that. I just think there was a, could have been a better way to go you about do, it. You just replace that front part with the, you know, repeating middle sections. Right. Cause yeah, again, you have, you're saying the same thing nine different times. You could have just, 
There, I don't know. There is a moment too where the uh, the clover tattooed guys are about to kill David Dunn, and and she's just like his his weakness is water, and so they drag him. They're like choking him, and they're like on top of him. I wanted to see someone try to shoot him in the head and just have it not work. Right. That would have been the ultimate. I like, also. Oh, oh nope. He's a hundred percent. I'll also still buy that his weakness is water. But if you submerged me in a puddle, I would also die. Like every time they're like, "Well, his weakness is water. Drown him." I'm like, "That's just a person." I think the water <laughs> just does something to his body. It like weakens. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, the it's kryptonite. kryptonite. I'm just like, but. Sure. Just look, to... they look. They, they dragged the hero of the movie over to a puddle and drowned him, yes. and he fucking died. <laughs> I've never seen that in a movie. What balls! That and was I, pretty intense to watch. It was too. so intense because you're just like, he's gonna get him, and then he doesn't, and you're just like, holy shit, holy shit, and and that's how you should feel in an M Night movie. So. It was it was earned. Go see it. It's a B movie. It's it's good. It's it's a it's worth it. Yeah, and then the and I mean the box office too is fine. It Comparable opened to, f- to split. Well, it op- so yeah, I have a lot of numbers for it. It opened to about forty million, which is what Split opened to. I do not think it'll last as long as Split did. And I don't. Forty six was Split, correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. So Sorry. six different, but this was a four day weekend. It'll probably end up getting up there. Right. So I think. That's fine. I don't think it'll last. Split got crossed like 120-something domestically. I don't think Glass will have that kind of staying power. I think it will stay, though. There isn't any real com- competition the next two weeks. And I, you're right. The word of mouth is positive for from people yeah. seeing it. I've talked to a few people that thought it was dog shit, as they said. Uh, I don't agree with those people. But just kind of looking at – like the best thing to kind of look at are uh, comments on Facebook – after they kind of do their first, like, national ad where it's, like, you know, the number one movie in America. And it's like, oh, this was posted, like, three hours ago, and it has 700 comments underneath it. Just open those and have a look. It's a lot of people saying that they liked it. And I think that that's interesting to see. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. But it also, when you look at uh, Martin Luther King Day weekends, which I looked at, too, to really... I saw an article that said this might be second or third. What's the first? Uh, so I have 10 and I included glass in it. So I don't even remember what I bumped out for it. Cause it breaks the top 10, but it's not, unless it really, well, it could make 8 million tomorrow, tonight and tomorrow. Uh, the first one is American sniper at 107 million. And then you get into real numbers cause nothing else touches that. Uh, then it's right along at 48. The first Cloverfield at 46, Right along two at forty one, the Green Hornet movie at forty. Then you have Glass, which again has to has at the time of recording this Sunday and Monday. Then you have Paul Blart Mall Cop at thirty nine, Book of Eli at thirty eight, Black Hawk Down at thirty three, and Along Came Polly at thirty two million. So it's doing fine for the weekend it's in, and it's doing fine for its franchise. So I don't know to say this is a bust like M Night. Fran- financed it at twenty million. I don't know what the advertising and marketing budget was. I don't know kind well, it of was all. High. You yeah, know I mean at least in North Hollywood, Hollywood, L.A. area, you can't go two blocks without right. The so his twenty million must just be the production. I, budget. Yeah, I don't imagine that's everything because twenty million will get you far, and and it clearly shows because it doesn't look cheap by any means. Uh, but yeah, you'd have to think like I really going into this thought that this was around a hundred million. Just, just on pure like. But Blumhouse as a company is also good at doing that. I think, I think when we looked up the Halloween twenty eighteen 
remake, it was what a production budget of ten million. Ten or fifteen. It yeah. was. It's insane. It's and that's how they do it. Normally, they can make any movie for five if they know that there is IP, if there's a following, if there is some kind of fan base attached to it. In any small way, they will double the budget, make it ten, fifteen. Yeah. they've already done this with Jordan Peele. That, that Us will not be a sequel to Get Out, just along the same lines. Unless, unless no, Happy Death Day Two is another one that saw I think a triple percent yeah. hike, and now they're that sequel just looks crazy, but. They find success and then they kind of do it. I, I really think that they'll be smart about this and let M. Night be done with it. And ultimately that will just leave so it in the best place. So is it bad that a part of me would like watch a TV show of this organization if we're going to keep spinning off these franchises? Please. I would love that. Please do it on Showtime or HBO. Have it be R-rated and don't let it be episodic where you're just hunting a superhero a week. Have a different David Dunn on the West Coast. Have your whole season be trying to get him and then sprinkle in a couple of like C, D level like, yeah, they can like do this, but they're not really a threat. Well, I think you kind of want to see like nobody in this is shooting like lasers out of their hands. And I can't think of any other superhero movies that do that where they're just like a little bit better. I guess that's kind of how Heroes started, but I think that's what you would want to see. You'd want to see these characters that have, like, feasible superpowers. You don't need to see Spider-Man. Because the nice part about her convincing even, like, James McAvoy was, you know, you were watching somebody climb walls all the time. Oh. Um, you're, so you're not doing this as an ability. Right. You're just good at rock climbing. And it's fun to see those things. So I would like to kind of see that more. The false positives. Yeah. That would be great. That would be great. Just like a, this, it just feels like a continental to John Wick. That's what I mean. Where I'm it's just like, like, we don't need another movie, but if you wanted to explore this one aspect of it, I wouldn't be upset. Yeah, I'd be fine with it. Nothing else really exists like that that I can think of in superhero movies, except for, I guess, I guess that was... Shield. No, Heroes. That was like the first season. That's where the guy with the Hormgren glasses worked. Is that the the company that I was... I never could get into that show. The first season's great. And then ignore it. <laughs> and that's our show, guys. Uh, as always, leave us a review on iTunes. Give us five stars. You can follow us on Twitter at HollywoodADI. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Hollywood already did it. I'm at, as always, Blake and Zane is at Zegu's Elderly. And that is our show. Have a good night.